Good morning. Good morning. Okay. If I can't get amens during the sermon, I at least want to get a good morning at the beginning. Let's, um, we're continuing the same series uh, where Kurt has left off. So I'm going to begin actually at verse 27 of John chapter 4. So if you're using your pew Bible, I believe that's page 889. So I'm going to read verse 27 on to verse 42. John 4. So before I read that, because not all of you were here last week and may not be familiar with the story, Jesus has gone, he's, he's heading to Galilee and he's going through Samaria. And as most of you know, the Jews and the Samaritans had a terrible relationship. And yet he chooses to go through that area where it was not normally done. And he sits down at a well, Jacob's well. And uh, it's noon. He's hungry. He's thirsty. The, the disciples go into the town to get food. He sits down at the well. It's noon. And a woman comes to draw water. A little odd that she comes at noon. Um, and he asks her for water. That's just not done. A, a, a Jewish man asking a woman to, to drink from her cup. And she's kind of astonished. So they have a conversation. And he says, you know, if you ask me, I could give you living water. And she doesn't understand. And he says, go call your husband and come back here. And she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And she's being a little evasive. And he says, you're right. You, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, actually. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. And she says, oh boy, he, he has seen right through me. And she, she seems to try to change the subject. I see you're a prophet. Let's talk about theology. And, and um, that doesn't go well either. Um, and then we're kind of, we come to the point that you know, Jesus says, uh, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're now talking about. And that's where we left off last week, verse 26. So here's verse 27. J just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you do not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is your word. It is good. We pray that you would teach us exactly what you would have us know in this encounter with the woman, with the Samaritans, with the disciples, and we pray that you would be exalted even now 
and that you would, you would transform us as Terence prayed because your word is alive as you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a strange title. I, I often confess I spend far too much time trying to figure out a title that's going to be arresting. I don't know if I succeeded. Um, my question here at the very beginning is, what does the gospel actually mean to you, if that's a term that you use? I expect most of you would say, so what is the gospel? It's about Jesus dying for your sins. And that wouldn't be wrong. I, I wouldn't mock that in any way. When I was 13 years old, I was a devout Catholic, and, and I heard two promises that really blew me over. And, and one was that I could actually know that my sins were forgiven. Every sin I'd ever committed, and I was a Catholic boy, that was important to me, every single sin that I'd committed that I would commit would be forgiven. And most important for a Catholic, I could know I was going to heaven. Because, as some of you know, and many of you have been Catholics, you're not allowed to say that. You know, I can know I'm going to heaven. So this was great. I, I loved that. And so I was born again. I, I, I believed that I was becoming a true Christian for the first time. So I asked Jesus into my heart. I asked Jesus to become my personal Savior. And that was the language that I was being told to use at that time. Now, again, I'm not mocking it. But that was the, that was the language. That's the way I, I was being told that this is what you need to do. Now, many of you have had pers- very similar experiences. Um, I wonder how the gospel may have been presented to you. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. David, I planned that before I knew you were going to be here. Okay. Um, if you were to die tonight, okay, so, some of you have heard these kinds of invitations. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Do you want to go to heaven or hell? Duh. Okay. But... You know, some kind of an invitation to eternal life. What is it if you remember somebody telling you the message of the gospel? What is it that maybe brought you in? What have you heard? If you're a Christian, how did you become one? I saw one video that was training people how to share their faith. And it was a well-produced dramatization. And when somebody asked that very question, well, how do I become a Christian? The person answered, by praying? Ah! That's a terrible answer. You don't become a Christian by praying. What in the world does that even mean? That, that's not how you become a Christian. Just like you don't become a Christian, I think, as you know, because I say this just about every time they let me up here, you don't become a Christian by raising your hand. You don't become a Christian by walking forward. You don't even become a Christian by asking Jesus into your heart. Not precisely. They may all be expressions of your becoming a Christian, but it's not those things that make you a Christian. And that's an important distinction because too often that is what people say. I know I'm a Christian. I know he's a Christian because they did this, because they checked a box, because they prayed the prayer. They were born again. I know they were. I I realize there's nothing in their life that indicates they're, but I know they're a Christian. Nonsense. It's not these things that make us Christians, and it's not praying a prayer. I haven't seen that in the Bible, by the way. You know, if you want to become a Christian, pray this prayer. It's just not there. What does it say, in fact? Okay, you well know. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that really is what the answer is. What do you do to become a Christian? You need to believe. You need to believe. So if you want to express your faith in a prayer, that's fine. I'm not mocking it, actually. Okay, if you want to express your faith by saying, 
I accept the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe. That's fine. It, it's just that the emphasis needs to be on the faith and not on the action that we do to express our faith. And that's the important distinction. So if we believe in our heart and mind and soul that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again because of our sins, uh, in order, in, in order, because it was necessary for our sins and effective for our sins, if you believe and are willing to submit to his authority over your life, this is the belief that is conversion faith. That is what would cause you to be a Christian. And you know, that's, that's really good news. That's really good news. But the gospel is actually more than that. So I'm not, I may not say anything new to any of you today unless you're brand new to the Christian faith. And if you are, welcome. I'm glad you're here. But all of us get so used to talking about the gospel in certain language that I kind of want to stretch you a little bit. And I think this passage lends itself to that. Uh, I travel to Africa, as many of you know, and it's, it's scary sometimes the way that I hear the gospel expressed there. Um, the gospel is, the story of the gospel is that Jesus is there to help you. Oh, really? You know, I need help. I can't make this bill. Help, Lord. That's the gospel. Really? Or that the gospel is there to help you live a better life and be healthy and wealthy. And if you think it's bad here, you should see how bad it's over in Africa. And it's our fault, by the way. Okay? That, that health and wealth gospel has come from the United States and gone over to Africa. It's, it's awful. Uh, it, the gospel is not a story or a message to make us feel good, to add to our already good life. I don't see this in Scripture. In fact, I see quite the opposite, that Christians will suffer and should expect to suffer for their faith. What is the gospel? What actually is it? This passage, I believe, in, in this limited passage we've got, I see three things that I, I noticed when I was reading it, and this really, it, it, there were three, I promise, there were three. Three questions that were raised as I read it, that, you know, why did, it, why did it happen that way? Three different things that I believe the gospel actually answers. So that's what I want to look at very quickly this morning. Uh, the first one is this. Why does Jesus refer to his work as food? Why is that? Uh, you know, it's a kind of a strange statement. My food is to do the work that the Father has given me. I find that kind of a strange statement, and I don't know about you, and I wonder if you've ever thought about that. What exactly is he saying? There he is, sitting, waiting for food. He does not go into the village with the disciples to get food. Why? He's got an appointment. He's going to change this woman's life. He knows that. He's there, and he's waiting for her to come. And right at the appointed hour, she comes out with that jar of water. Okay? That's the plan. And they say, come, eat. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know. Jesus does this all the time to people. Okay? He, he speaks on one level, and they speak on another level. Destroy this temple, and in three days, if you and I were there, we would all assume he's referring to the building. But John tells us he's referring to his body. Nobody would know that. Nobody. Then he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Everybody would say, what are you talking about, Jesus? John keeps doing this, and then here, he tells the woman, I could give you living water. And she's like, living water? What's that? Jesus loves to do this, and John loves to tell us about it. So here he says, I have food to eat. Jesus is hungry. Okay, he's God, but he's man. He's hungry. 
And the passage doesn't tell us. I expect somewhere at that, somewhere in there he eats. Okay? I mean, he's hungry. He's, he's going to eat food. So he's not saying, I don't need food. I only need to obey God. I, I don't think that's quite what he's saying. He's saying something else. There's something about the work that God has given him to do that he can call food. Now, that's pretty profound, actually. So what does it actually mean? This food is to do this specific work. Well, think about that. Food brings us life. For some of us, it also brings us a little too much joy because we love to do it. We like to eat. And I think the image of food is a helpful image. What is it in our lives that brings us a lot of joy and delight? And I hope it's legal, by the way. What, what is it that we love to do that really gives us life and delight? Because that's what Jesus is saying. I love to do what God is directing me to do. So much so that I'm even going to call it food. This is my food. I love it. It gives me life and delight. What is it? Is it just to be obedient? I don't think that's what he's saying. My delight is to preach the gospel. I love to bring in sinners into the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and I'm having a great time. I think that's what Jesus is saying. My food is to do the will, and his will is this. And he's bringing in this woman and eventually a large portion of the village. Now, what does he mean by that? I think it's important to understand this. The gospel, I called the title of the sermon, The Gospel is a Window. The gospel is a window to the very heart of God. Have you ever thought about that? You might not know what I mean by that. The gospel is a window to the heart of God. I've preached this before. I'm very influenced by John Piper, as a lot of you know, and because the question that John Piper asks that we all need to ask is, what does God desire more than anything else? And many of us would still say, even though you've heard, my, you've heard me preach this before, but you might have forgotten, what does he want more than anything? And most of us would probably say, he wants a relationship with us. And I would say, no, that's not what he wants more than anything. That's not what he wants more than anything. He wants the salvation of everybody. And I would say, no, because if he did, everybody would get saved. So there must be something he wants even more than that. So these things, this relationship with us and the salvation, God wants these things, but there must be something he wants even more, and you know it. You know it because you're in a Reformed church. You know it. What does he want? He wants himself to be glorified. This is God's desire above all things, that his glory will be known throughout the heavens and the earth. That's what he wants, and that's what the gospel is, to have his name and his fame spread through the heavens and the earth, filled with the heavens and the earth. And that's what Jesus is doing. And as he preaches, he's preaching the very heart of God, and it just delights him. He's thrilled to do it. God is love. We know that. We may quote it. We may not know what we mean when we say it, but God is love. Now, from all eternity, God has existed and uniquely in the Christian theology, we understand that God existed in triune form. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God existed in relationship. Whenever we try to explain it, we get into heresy. Okay, so I'm going to be careful. Okay? But God existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in a relationship, expressing love from all eternity. And yet, God creates. Now, please, don't ever, 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 
say, God created us because he was lonely. God created because he needed people to love. Oh, please. In fact, don't ever say God needs anything because that's heresy. Okay? And, and, you know, I hear people say quite innocently, God needs us to. No, that's not even true. God doesn't need anything. Okay? That's actually heresy. So we can't talk that way, and language matters. So God didn't need anything. He didn't create because he needed something. Dumb, no, what am I going to do? He, he didn't need anything. God created because he loved his own glory, and it was a loving thing to do to share it to create that others might know and enjoy his glory. And so he creates that you and I might know and enjoy his glory. That's what the gospel is. That his name might be spread, that we might know him as well. And this is Jesus' work, and he loves to do it. It brings him great delight. That's what the gospel is about, is God sharing himself. So it isn't really that he thought of us above all. Sorry, lousy song. It's terrible, okay? God did not think about us above all. He thought of himself above all. It's nice that we're included in that because we get to delight in him. It's not really, I'll just step on everybody's toes. It's not really that he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own, even though I can talk about a wonderful relationship, an intimate relationship with him. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? It's a true statement. Okay? God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Absolutely true. But please, let us never make the emphasis in our songs, in our theology, in our language. Look what he did for me. If I were the only person on earth, let's not make it all about us. It's about God. And God has given himself so that we might know him. It's not all about Oh, he wraps his loving arms around. Okay, I'm going on and on about that. But we want to be careful that the emphasis is God and not us. So the heart of the gospel, it's not just about rescuing sinners from hell, though it is. It's not just about giving us eternal life, though it is. You know, in a beautiful place, mansions, gold streets, boring. That'd be really boring, wouldn't it be? If, in fact, we were getting all those things Eternal life is overrated if it's godless. If, if you could be satisfied in a heaven with beauty and the best food and every pleasure and no sickness, no pain, all friends and family with harmony, okay, and, and with a fantastic mansion and so on, without God, without Jesus, would you really want to be there? You know what? You won't. Because if that's the heaven you want, it doesn't exist. Okay? If you could desire heaven without the Lord Jesus, without God, you don't want heaven, and you will not be there. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous to what? To bring us to God. That is what the gospel is, and this is Jesus' food. So God says, enjoy me, get to know me. And Jesus says, this is my work, I love to do this. This is why he can say it's his food. Second question, why does the Samaritan woman believe in Jesus? Why does she actually believe in him? Is it because, uh-oh, he knows my secret? Well, that's part of it. That is part of it. You see, I heard someone say, it was probably Piper, I don't know, the fastest way to someone's heart 
is through a wound. Now, that's a true statement. You and I do it, we might get our heads bitten off. But that is a very direct way to somebody's heart, is right through a wound. And Jesus is the master at this. He knows exactly how to do it and not destroy her. And that's what he does. He does it, and Kurt was bringing this out last week. He does it so gently, so beautifully. Bring your husband. He knows. I don't have a husband. You're right. And he tells her very gently. He doesn't say, you wicked woman. You lascivious. He just says, you're right. This is your situation. He does not send her away. In fact, he's been talking to her about living water that he wants to give her. She knows he's no ordinary man. And he tells her everything she's ever done. Because he goes right to the very heart of the, most, of the thing she is most embarrassed about. The thing that has most shaped her life. You know, she's had five husbands. I think this is often presented as, this is an Elizabeth Taylor. This is a Zsa Zsa Gabor. I, I don't really know. And in that culture, she was probably the one that was being thrown out one time after another. This is a woman that has known rejection and pain and shame. You and I have those parts that if people could see inside our hearts and souls, we would fall apart. We would be terrified, horrified, if people could actually see and hear the thoughts, some things that we've done we don't want anybody to ever know, but the thoughts that we have, the, the lust, the hatred, the bitterness, the rage, the racism, the, the different, the pride, unbelief. If people knew them, even those closest to us, maybe worst of all those closest to us, we're afraid they'd run. We don't even want to know about them. But Jesus knows about them. And are you trying to hide them from Jesus? How foolish. How foolish and what a waste. You're, you're trying to cover that up. Jesus sees right through them because the gospel is a window right into your soul. There is nothing that remains hidden. Why does the woman believe? Because Jesus sees it. He sees it right there. He exposes her and she's safe. Have you experienced that? Have you realized that Jesus knows everything even that you won't admit and he still says, you're my child. I, I'm covering that. I love you and I'm covering that. You're safe with me. Would you try to hide anything from him? What a waste. Jesus' name even means the Lord saves. That is what he does. Many of you are familiar with the name Tim Keller. Um, I've had the opportunity to um, listen or to, to attend a number of seminars and conferences with Tim Keller and a couple with his wife, Kathy. Tim, Tim is a pastor in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He's written a number of books. Tim and Kathy are extremely, I'm using first name basis. We're not really good buddies. They are so humble. And there was one seminar they were giving on grace, and somebody asked a question. They said, can you tell us how grace has affected your parenting? And Kathy answered. She said, oh, I can tell you. Grace has given us the permission to admit what failures we were as parents. I thought that was an incredibly profound statement. Has grace given you the permission to admit, I'm really a rotten sinner? Now, some people perversely are proud of their sins. I've heard some testimonies that are, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, I got a testimony, let me tell you how rotten I was. It's like a twisted pride. 
But, but others, they seem to boast in their humility. So, I mean, it, it can be rather twisted. But, but are you free enough to say, yeah, yeah, you don't know the half of it. Yeah, if, if, if you knew everything, yeah, I, I, I'd rather you didn't know, actually. But there's another thing that grace does. Not only does it let you see yourself more completely and say, but I'm safe with Jesus, it also affects the way you look at other people. Because when you see somebody else who's in sin, rather than say, oh, you disgusting person, you say, I could do that too, you know. I could be right there. Okay, just uh, the circumstances are a little different. I could be exactly like that. And it really changes the way you love and the way you forgive. It gets you off your high horse. And grace, the gospel, it slays hypocrisy, destroys it. If you really have known the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a window. It's a window right into your soul. The gospel frees us to admit we're much worse sinners than we ever dare to admit. Because on the other side, the gospel promises us that grace in Jesus Christ is more wonderful than we ever dared to hope. That's Tim Keller. I'll say it again. The gospel frees us to admit we are much worse sinners than we ever dared admit because God's grace in Jesus Christ is more wonderful than we ever dared to hope. Last question. Why do the people of the town come to believe in Jesus? I can go through this one kind of quickly. They tell you why they come to believe in Jesus. They, they tell you very uh, clearly. The woman abandons her jar. She runs in there, and she starts telling everybody about Jesus. She hasn't even had evangelism training. Stop! Stop! You can't... No, she just goes, and she starts telling everybody, you've got to meet this guy. You've got to meet this man. He's told me everything I've ever done. And they must have looked and said, who are you? Do we know you? You're, 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 you're not that same woman who wouldn't even meet our eyes. Something has happened. So number one... They believe because this woman, I mean, look at the way she's moving. She, she's dancing. She's walking on air. I mean, this is a totally different woman. So that first gets their attention. It's not just that, wow, he can, he can tell he's a prophet. I mean, he can, they look at what has been done to this woman, and they are, they are blown away because she's blown away. Her excitement. Have you, do you remember that? When you came to know Jesus Christ, and I realize not all of you are at that point, did you have that kind of excitement? You said, I can't believe what God has done for me. I hope that you've experienced it since then, too. That every once in a while you say, I cannot believe the graciousness of God. I can't believe what he's done for me. I've got to tell you, where it just bubbles out. And this is the way the gospel is a window outward. Because others should see what Jesus is doing in us. They should see it. It's not just like, oh, if I could only find an opportunity to share my faith. It actually should be quite natural because people see that there's something about us. There's a joy that should be coming from us. There are stories, there are the things that are going on in our lives that we can't really help but talk about. Her excitement, okay? And then, of course, they meet Jesus, they say, oh, it's no longer your testimony. Now we have heard, and now we know this Jesus too. Because when people know us, it shouldn't be us they're seeing. It should be Jesus Christ. And so the gospel actually shines out where people see not us, not us, because we're free to admit, oh, I'm not as good as you think I am. It's Jesus. 
and where people actually see and they get to know because the gospel brings you to a person. So what is the gospel? It's powerful. It's a wonderful thing. It's the news of what God has planned to do from all eternity, create a people that will enjoy him and share in the delight of his glory. And this is something he planned for, for all eternity past, that he would be glorified as he gathers a people to know and enjoy him. It's the heart of God, and it's the food of Jesus. He loves to do it. It also reveals the depths of our souls, and in him we are totally safe. No, no pretending. No need to pretend. We're totally safe. He knows every sin, every shame, more than we know. He knows it. And he says, I can cover that. I'm on that. Okay? My blood is enough for everything you've ever thought about doing. Do you believe that? Okay, that is the gospel. And then, of course, it shines out. Because if you're convinced that God has done a wonderful thing in you, people are going to see it. People are going to know that you are transformed, you're being, you're being transformed, and that it points to the Savior. There's only one remaining question that I didn't get to. Did Jesus ever get his water? The woman got hers. The woman got her water. And you and I are invited to drink as well because the water is good. The well is deep. And it will satisfy, it will satisfy our souls. It will quench us. It brings us right to God. And that's where we belong. That's where our soul longs to be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you, more than grateful, for the offer of your gospel. It's presented in so many ways as an invitation to eternal life. Let us never see that apart from the opportunity to know our Lord God and to enjoy his glory. Lord, if, if we are believers here, I pray that we would reflect the love of Jesus in, a, in just being transparent and being loving of others. And may you shine forth for your glory. And we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.